Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to finish out the chapter. We're going to start in verse 16 and go through 28. Apparently, the, one of the overheads says 29. If you want to find 1 Thessalonians 5, 29, good luck. But um, just, just keep reading. You'll find it in there somewhere. But we're going to finish this out. And the reality is each one of these verses, you know, you could take each one and read it to the person sitting next to you and say, you got it? Yep, got it. You got it? Yep, got it. Okay, let's go to the house. Or you could take each one of them and spend an entire sermon on each of these passages. We're going to do neither. What we're going to do is lean a little more toward the former and, and uh, take a brief moment with each phrase and give some ap- exposition and application to it. We're going to look at these 13 verses in eight sections. So if you're needing to know when to plan to go watch the ball game, after eight, okay, it's going to be at eight. And um, we might go a little past 12 o'clock today, but that's not terribly unusual. Let's look there in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 17. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. It's hard to do one of those well without doing the both of them. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Now, when it says rejoice always, it is not the same as think optimistically. I'm all about being an optimistic, but but optimism and pessimism as well both deal more with the future. They they tend to slant toward the future of everything's going to be bright or or not bright. And you know, Calvin Miller, I like what he said in Philippian Fragment. He said, "I'm trying to decide whether to think optimistically or to or to accept life as it is." That's a good line. This is not about thinking positively. You heard about the pessimist who was encouraged to think positively and say, okay, I'm positive this is going to end badly. It's not about thinking positive. It's possible to have an attitude, a positive attitude, an optimistic attitude about the future and miss the reality of the moment that we're living in. What this verse does is calls us to this moment. In this moment right now. I'm not worrying about the future. I'm not worrying about the past. In this moment right now, what I want you to do is rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I want you right now to rejoice. Now, the future, the past can inform our choice. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's talking about our future based on a present reality. In Matthew 5, he said, rejoice, your reward is great in heaven. That's our future. So persecuted they the prophets who were before you. That's our past. They can inform our present. But this passage brings us to, in this moment, will you make the intentional, deliberate choice of the will that I'm going to rejoice right now. Now, this is not talking about an eternal giddiness. It's not talking about walking around with a smile, fake smile plastered on your face. It's not talking about just keep a happy attitude. All of those can be the result, but they are not the source of all of our rejoicing. Always look on the bright side. The bright side might be the headlight of the train closing in on you, just being realistic. It's not a matter of have, have a right outward expression. It is it is an eternal foundation of joy in this reality. I know Jesus, and he is in charge, and it is okay. Amen? It is rejoicing is the undercurrent stream of contentedness between you and Jesus. Everything else in life can be going bad, but your joy, your ability to live by this verse of right now I choose to rejoice does not have to be affected by what's going on around us. In fact... Philippians 4 tells us rejoice in the Lord 
always. This is just a sign of the Christian that we are able to and willing to, in this moment, rejoice in the Lord. According to Galatians chapter 5, joy is one of the natural byproducts, one of the fruit, the evidence is that the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Love, joy, and peace. It just is resonant there. And in Romans 14, 17, the work of the kingdom of God in our life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the result of His indwelling in us. And so our rejoicing in order to live by this verse is not dependent on how things are going on around us. It's dependent on who's inside of you. And if it's Jesus inside of you, you have reason to rejoice. Amen? So we look at this verse, rejoice always. Look at verse 17, the second one. Pray without ceasing. Now, it's easy to confuse a state of prayer with an attitude of prayer. We had this couple that came to us one time and she hated him and he hated her so at least they were in agreement on something and um she was mad because he'd come in late at night and, and uh, well, we hadn't prayed yet. And so they had to get out of bed and go get on their knees at the foot of the bed and strike the pose and hit the position and say the words, you know, and close their eyes. He's worried about the state of prayer. This is not talking about our state of prayer, that we're supposed to walk around with our eyes closed, always praying. Now, we know a lot of people in Salt Lake, it seems like they're driving in a continual state of prayer. <laughs> this is talking about an attitude of prayer. Jesus talks about this in Luke 18, 1. He says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to faint not. It's easy to separate those two. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But John Bailey bring those, brings those together well when he talks about pray and faint not are, one, are not talking about one or the other. They are talking about melding these two together and bringing prayer into my work so that right now, I'm praying, God, give me wisdom. Right now, I'm saying, God, how can I best accomplish this task? We live in an attitude of prayer. Now, a few years ago, I had this little system that I worked out that I had a watch that had a timer on it. And I set my timer for 15 minutes. And every 15 minutes, my timer would beepity beep, beep, beep. And when it beeped, I would pray the Lord's Prayer intentionally, slowly, Deliberately. Now, on the Lord's Prayer, we've talked about it in the past. You can plug all of your needs into all of those different sections. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm going to pray that for my wife, for my family, my kids, my relations, my, the people I'm working with. God, your kingdom established in my life, their life, our lives, your will be done. So we just plug it in all the way along. But every 15 minutes, I would pray through the Lord's Prayer intentionally. And it took one to one and a half minutes to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And nobody else needed to know what I was doing. You don't have to strike a pose. But at the end of a 15-hour day, do you realize if you do that at a 15-hour day, at the end of the day you've prayed one hour in addition to whatever other time you, you spend praying? There's one hour just dedicated to we're going to pray. I, I, I'm going to put a website up here. I, I failed to do it first service. Uh, put that up there if you would, Stephanie. Prayforeveryhome.com. We were made aware of this this past week with uh, Jared and Sean, I think, that you go to that website, put in your address, and every morning they send you an email of people near you that you can pray for. Their name that you live within. This radius, this, this, this. It's just an opportunity to pray. But it's just a reminder. Every morning we're going to get an email. And what Jesus does, in accordance with his command, in accordance with this command from Paul, pray without ceasing. To live in a continual state of prayer, we want to encourage you with a tool. Okay? I had that tool of every 15 minutes back in the day. I want to encourage you with a tool. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, both say effectively the same thing, and it is this. The, labor, the, the, the fields are white to harvest. 
Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the field. Those two verses say basically the same thing. Here's the tool. Here's the challenge. Would you be willing to take those two verses and plug one of those as a time into your phone? 10.02 in the morning, 9.38 in the morning, either of those at night, whenever you choose. And every time your alarm goes off, would you be willing to pray, Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field? Now listen, we don't need more attenders. We don't need more people judging the quality of the grapes on the vine. We don't need more people telling other people how they ought to get out into the field. Do you realize that when Jesus said the the, the laborers are few, there had never been more priests in Israel in the entire history of the nation than when he said that right there. It wasn't a shortage of folks filling a slot. It was a shortage of laborers. There were entire cities dedicated to all of the priests that are going to come live here. Jericho was one of them. There were plenty of people who were licensed and accredited and bonded and diplomated and everything else that can be done. They're certified to teach and tell everybody else how to do it. There wasn't a lack of people to tell somebody else how to do it. What there was a lack of was people willing to do it. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for laborers to be sent into the field. And friends, we've been praying this verse over this house for the last eight years. And if you have come to this house in the last eight years, you are an answer to that prayer. We receive you as God's good answer to that prayer. And our goal is to equip, encourage, and release you to do ministry that God's called you to do. His his goal is that we pray. He commanded us, you pray the Lord of the harvest. Would you be willing to take those times, 10.02, 9.38, a.m. or p.m.? And every time that alarm goes off, just just for a minute, God send laborers into the field. Send laborers into the field. And as you send them, don't forget to send me. Would you be willing to do that? You know, there are a lot of things that can, uh, that can be a distraction in church, and I don't ever want to be a distraction in church. You know, Psalm 69, 6 said, I don't ever want to do anything that would draw those away from you who are seeking you. But if at 10.02 in the first service alarms started going off, that'd be a pretty cool distraction, wouldn't it? Well, these people are praying. Let, let's, let's have this and more. Amen? Would you be willing to have some kind of reminder to just pray? Thirdly, verse 18. Look what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's an English poet and author, Walter Savage Landor, who said, We often fancy we suffer from ingratitude, while in reality we suffer from self-love. Someone else said, Ingratitude is the highest expression of egotism. Oh, I I taught myself. I lifted myself by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. None of us are. I appeal to the great theologian of the faith, Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) When, When at the Golden Globes, he stood up to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award, and you know what the first thing he said was? I am the sum total of everyone I have ever met. Wow. You're not a self-made man. And to think that we are, to refuse to express gratitude where gratitude is due is an ultimate form of egotism. Ingratitude, I've said it many times before, the French proverb, ingratitude is the root of vice. And what Paul tells us is to give thanks in all circumstances. And we look at that and we go, well, you just don't know how difficult it is. I might not know, but this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's His will that we're thankful. Now, it, there's, it is argued 
and justifiably that this clause of this is the will of God for, in Christ Jesus for you refers not only to this last one of give thanks in all circumstances, but is instead referring to the entire triplet of injunctions here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This, this, this triplet of injunctions, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what he wants us to do. And we look at that and go, how in the world am I supposed to give thanks with all of the terrible things that are going on right now? I have so much difficulty in my life. How am I supposed to give thanks? And, you know, there's a verse. People throw it around. happens a lot of times at funerals. And they mean well. They're wanting to help. They're not, they're not trying to, you know, be distracting or anything. But they throw this verse out there and they, they don't give the whole context of it. And it can come across as kind of, kind of less than sensitive. And the verse is Romans 8, 28. Oh, you have bad things happening? Don't worry about it. Why? Because, what? All things work together for good to those who love God and called according to His purpose. The punch in the mouth that I'm about to give you, just all things work together. Just, just consider this, you know, this is in God's purpose. But what we fail to do is read that in the context of the next verse. All things work together for good. What is the good? You know, uh, the good for me is that this bad situation stops and then it doesn't stop. Well, that doesn't seem like a good thing. And what are his purposes? He lets us know what his purpose is in the next verse when he says to be conformed to the image of his son. Friends, this is not some glib passage that we throw out when everything seems to be going dark and everything's going to be good after all whatever good is supposed to be this is an absolute assurance to us that God has not left us in the middle of our difficulty he is still working his primary purpose and that is that Christ is formed in us amen now he's going to continue working toward that purpose all the way until Philippians 1 6 the day of our Lord Jesus all the way till when he returns he's still going to be working on us When we understand that perspective, when we look at it from the perspective of heaven, rather than from the perspective of the world which spends millions of dollars to to protect ourselves from any difficulty or suffering, which spends millions of dollars to make sure everything is as happy and light as it can be, when we look at life from heaven's perspective that there is something deeper going on here, it's easier to hear James 1, 2 and 4, which says, Brothers, I want you to count it all joy. When you fall into diving into different kinds of temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But I want you to have patience, let it have its perfect work in you, so that you can be complete and mature, lacking nothing. Friends, this reality of I'm going to be thankful in all circumstances makes it so we can submit more easily to the work of God in our lives, which is not to make us contented, not to make us happy, It's to make us holy. A.W. Tozer said, if I have to choose between happiness or holiness, give me holiness. I have all eternity to be happy. Good line, isn't it? Say, yeah, but what about the difficulty? What about the hard things? This is where our relationship with Jesus is what's going to see us through. And I like what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 6. And just imagine how centered he was in his relationship with Jesus to be able to say these things. In the face of all of the difficulty, all of the fears, all of the attacks, all of the wrong motives that were assigned to him, Paul stood up and said this. No matter what anybody had to say about him or to him, Paul said, we are treated as imposters, but we're true. Wow. (laughs) 
We're treated as unknown. We are well known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished, yeah, we're not killed. As sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. We are treated as poor, but we're making many people rich. We are treated as having nothing, and yet we possess everything. And friends, it's not negating the reality of the situation. It's recognizing the truth of a greater reality. And when we recognize that God does have it in control, it makes it so we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to prove our record. We don't have to drop names to prove that we really are important. We don't have to try and convince everyone else that, no, I really, I really am something. I'm kind of a big deal, you know. <laughs> Movie reference. No, no matter what you have to say, dear God, I want a relationship with Jesus so centered on him that I can hear his voice above the voices around me and even my own voice to hear him say, no, I'm pleased with you. Now will you rejoice? Now will you be thankful? Now will you pray without ceasing? And friends, in the middle of the difficulty, when we choose in the middle of the difficulty to be grateful, to rejoice, to worship Him, that's when we understand a little bit more of why in Hebrews 13, 15, it says that praise is a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. It's not always easy to give praise. Sometimes it is a sacrifice. I'm going to kill something right here. I'm going to kill my pride and self-will. God, I just choose to worship you. And when we look at life from the heavenly perspective, it makes it so we're not, we're not governed by what the people around us, the world around us has to say. And that peace that nobody seems to be able to get a grip on is able to have full sway in us. What does he say in Philippians chapter 4? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication and what? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And as a result of this, flowing out of this attitude of God, I'm bringing it to you with thanksgiving, out of this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. It will do it. But friends, that follows, that flows out of a life centered in, in this moment, I choose to worship him. We come to him, Jesus, I got a bunch of garbage going on. You see all this? You got it? You good? Okay. Okay. Thanks. Fourthly, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Don't put out the spirit's fire. How many of you know somebody that just got saved and they're just all over the place? They're just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you look at them and go, well, they'll settle down, you know. <laughs> you know, when I got saved, yeah, I was pretty excited too, but I got over it. You know, that's more an indictment on your miserable situation than on their ecstatic state. And that you died and you refused to lay down and be embalmed and do everybody a favor, that's, that's not something to brag about. Amen? Don't quench the Spirit. And friends, the reality is I've been doing this for a long time. I'm more excited now than I ever have been about what God's doing and what, he, what I see coming down the road. I'm more excited now about the things, and frankly, there are things I'm looking forward to seeing God put in our hearts 35, 40 years ago. I'm not ready to quit yet because I hadn't seen everything, I hadn't seen Him do everything that I've been looking forward to all these years. And now, it's a different kind of excitement. It's a little more tempered. 
I don't dance in church like I used to. You ain't lived till you've seen this mass moving up and down and Donna's gray hair flying around. I tell you what, one of these days we're going to have Tori doing Perrier's up here and, and, uh, it's, yeah, I know that's, I know, I know, I know it's a peridot. No, um, I know that it's a pirouette and you have plies and first mapition and second mapition and it's, it's a different expression now. But I'm still excited about what God's doing. It's hard. It's hard. But friends, what else is there to do? He says, don't quench the Spirit. Now, how many times does the Bible talk about fire? Our God is a consuming fire in Hebrews 12. His Word is like a fire in Jeremiah 23. The Holy Spirit is a baptizing fire in Matthew 3. He descended on the day of Pentecost in the form of tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. And the gift of God is to be fanned into flame lest it flicker out and fade in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He talks about God is a fire. He's a consuming fire. And when he says, do not quench the Spirit, this is one of four attitudes we can have toward the Holy Spirit. This is the first one, don't quench the Spirit. That is when we find ways to discount and ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ah, you know, that's just Uncle Joe. He's crazy anyway. Grandma's a little too religious for us. You don't have to pay too much attention to that. When we quench, when we put a put, put a bucket of water on how God is trying to deal in our lives because it's different than what we're used to. No, they're not doing that the right way. I know how it's the right way and they're not doing it the right way. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's discomfort. Sometimes it's just flat out laziness. No, I'd rather not. That's quenching the Spirit. Second attitude we can have is in Acts 7.51, you always resist the Holy Spirit. This is when we make every effort to limit the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. We avoid the means through which He speaks. Yeah, I used to read the Bible, but it was making me miserable, so I decided to quit. <laughs> no, I don't go to church. Yeah, those people are always talking about sin. And, I don't want and community group, who needs community group? You need something. We resist the, oper- the, the, the means by which he chooses to speak to us. And he says, don't do that. Come, to an ad- come with an attitude of, God, I'll hear anything you have to say. Third attitude is in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is really a function of the first two. This is to know the right thing to do and to deliberately not do it. To know that the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to get off that website and to stay there a little bit longer. God's going to give you, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to just minister to, to pray for that waitress, that neighbor, that family member, and just say, yeah, I'll do it another time. And that just makes the Holy Spirit weep. How do you feel when somebody you love gives you the cold shoulder? Fourth attitude, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. It's to say, Holy Spirit, here I am. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. Man, I can't do it without you. Now, this passage in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, that's in what's called the passive voice, which means I just come and I surrender. Here I am. Do whatever you want. I, I just surrender to you. But it's also in the present tense, which means you've got to be filled now. Well, I was filled with the Spirit the other day. It's pretty cool. Witnessed my neighbor. And that's great. And that's enough. No, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. It doesn't matter how glorious your experience was yesterday. Your experience yesterday does not equip you for the task of today. And so he puts this in the eternal present tense. You've got to be filled with the Spirit today. And friends, that Peter spoke in tongues when he was filled in Acts 2-4 does not negate the fact that he needed to be filled again when he stood in front of the Sanhedrin in Acts 4-8. 
And he needed to be filled again when he stood up to witness boldly in Acts 4.31. And Paul was filled with the Spirit when the scales fell off his eyes and he stood in front of the the synagogue to preach in Acts 9.17. But he needed to be filled again in Acts 13.9 when he stood up against the demonic forces. You need to be filled on a regular basis because here's the simple reality. We leak. We're like sieves, baby. We leak. It's a... It has to be a continual dependence, reliance on Him. Because life takes it out of you. How many of you, how many of you are kind of rocking along with Jesus when we get on with church and then you pull out on that road and that moron in that Subaru one more time? Well, we leak. Ministry takes it out of you. Dealing with kids takes it out of you. And friends, we have to, on a daily, regular basis, His mercies are new every morning. And friends, we've got to have a fresh feeling every day. God, speak to me, speak through me today. We walk in one of these four attitudes every day of our lives, and this passage tells us to not orchestrate our lives so that we can shut out or turn off the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Fifthly, verse 20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Do not despise prophecies. Well, that makes it sound like God might have something to say to us today. He does. Here's the good news. He does. He has something for you. We pray it every Sunday morning. God, speak to us today. What does that mean? Get it in there. John 10, 3 and 4, the sheep hear his voice, the sheep follow him. They know his voice. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Hebrews 3, 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3.15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If it, Hebrews 4.7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And before you feel sorry for Robert and his senility, it's in there three times. <laughs> because he has something to say. Are you listening to what he has to say? And the first thing that he has to say to us is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Today, today, today is the day of salvation. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, why not? Today is the day to get saved. Well, you know, I'll check that out later. I'll think about that a little bit more. You might want to think about it now. Because, friends, the whole essence of this book is that Jesus is coming and we do not know when. And we need to be prepared, not only in our salvation, but in our obedience to Him. We want to be the servant that's not surprised when the Master returns to the house. So do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Now, the very construction of that sentence implies that some of what you're going to hear is going to be nonsense. And that's okay. But there's going to be good stuff in there too. So hold fast what is good. Pastor Kevin and I regularly pray, God, the things that we say in this sermon today that are stupid, please just don't even let them hear it. It's, it's a complete reality that we're going, to, we're going to hear the word God tainted with flesh. I wonder, if the, I wonder if the jackass that talked to Balaam had a, an occasional he and maybe a haw in there sometimes. <laughs> And we can get scared by this whole thing and say, well, we're, we're going sure we to make sure we don't have any bad stuff happen in our church. So We're going to legislate. We're going to maintain so much order that nothing is going to be out of order. And nothing gets accomplished either. Friends, if you want to get some work done in the field, you've got to have an ox. And where there, when you have an ox, there's going to be a mess. And if you don't want the mess, get rid of the ox. But you're not going to get the work done. Because where there is no ox, the stall is bare. At least we have a clean stall. We're not getting any work done. 
We've legislated all of the difficulty out. And so that's one, one extreme we can go to. And the other extreme is, well, we're just not going to oversee. We're not going to test anything. We're going to let everything in that wants to come down the pike. And he said, don't do that either. Test it. And hold fast what is good. And while some of it's nonsense, that's okay. Allow the Holy Spirit to filter that out. That's the test everything. But hold on to what's good. Keep the good stuff. So, it's a good question of how do we know the difference? Thank you for asking. I want to give you two simple ways. One is, does it line up with the Word of God? Does it line up with what God's Word has to say? Well, now you're going to have to know your Bible. Does it line up with God's Word? If it does, okay, let's go to the next step. Does it challenge me to love God more and to serve God better? Friend, the devil's not going to tell you something that's going to make you love Jesus more. If it causes me to love Jesus more, then I can say, okay, that's from him. Listen to what Paul said. This is how we test prophecy in 1 Corinthians 4.3. And then I'm going to give you some real practical stuff on this. 1 Corinthians 4.3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So when you heard that thing, did it build you up? And it's from God. When you heard that thing, did it encourage you to serve him better? That word encourage means to remove sluggishness. Did it inspire you to get up off your hind parts and go do something for the kingdom? Over in Hebrews 10, he said, spur one another on. That's a, that's a cattle prod. And we, we come to church and too many times we say, don't tase me, man. No, we need to come to the word and God say, tase me all day long. Does it inspire you to get up and go serve better than it came from God? Thirdly, does it console you in your pain and difficulty? Does it remove sadness? Then it's from God. And here's some just down-to-earth examples of ways that God has just spoken to me and has spurred me on toward loving good deeds in my life. And, well, if these are too base for you, I'm really sorry, but they're just my reality, okay? One of them was, when I was 36 years old, I went to see Braveheart. I walked out of that movie. I, I, they, they had an intermission on that movie, you'll remember. And I went to the phone, and I started calling pastors that we were ministering to at the time. Brother, I'm taking you to see this movie. This is unbelievable. You're going to want to serve Jesus more. And just over and over calling. And Don said, okay, they're about to say, okay, i got to go. We're, we're going to go see this. You know. I walked out of that movie and said, I want to serve Jesus better. So I started taking pastors to see And every one of them weeping, just like I had done. God, I want to serve you better. I don't want to live a life that you waste. I want to do something for you. Except one guy, he was like a stone, you know. And so, okay, we're going to go to Shoney's and we'll talk about it. And we drove all the way across town, got out of the car at Shoney's, walking across the parking lot, and he just burst into tears. And he's over on his knees, I just want to serve God. And it's like, okay, we're not going into Shoney's. Let's just get you back to the car. <laughs> that movie prophesied to me. One night we watched that Michael Keaton movie, My Life, where it talks about his disrespect for his parents and his lack of gratitude for their efforts and how he repented. And I got done watching that movie and had to go in the other room for an hour and a half and weep and howl and repent and ask God to forgive me. God spoke to me in that movie. I used to call my wife dummy. It's funny. Except every woman in the room said, I don't think so. Well, Fred Sanford called Lamont dummy. My dad called my mother dummy. And it's just a kooky little pet name. It's not true. You know, my mother's five college degrees, three bachelors, two masters. She's no dummy. She got him through engineering school. She ain't stupid, you know. And so it's obviously not true. It's just a kooky pet name. And I had this ex-cousin-in-law come up to me one day and said, you ought not be calling your wife dummy. 
Oh, you just don't understand. Oh, that, that's really bad. You, you ought not be doing that. Well, my dad calls my mother that. Well, he ought not do that either. So I went to my wife and said, Donna, what do you think? About, about, how do you feel about me calling you dummy? And what did she say? <laughs> just the sound of your voice. <laughs> it's just such a blessing. Oh, you know. I called my mother. Ma, they had to call you dummy all the time. How do you feel about that? Oh, I hate it. Absolutely. What? Oh, I hate it. I've told him ever, ever, ever since day one, I hate it. And when my ex-cousin-in-law had brass enough to tell me, you know, that's, you really ought not to do it. And look, before he judged me too much, I was 21, okay? I wasn't trying to be stupid. I was just stupid with no effort at all, okay? I'd just wake up in the morning, I think I'll be stupid today. And, but when he spoke to me and he said, you ought not be doing that, that, that was God prophesying to me, hey, stupid, knock it off. And when I read the quote from John Adams that said there are only two creatures on the face of the earth that have any value, those with commitment and those who require the commitment of others, he didn't say that about serving Jesus, but when I read that, when I read Teddy Roosevelt's quote about in the arena, go check that one out, it made me want to say, I want to serve Jesus better. And in those statements, in those situations, God spoke to me and said, go do something for the kingdom. How has he prophesied to you? Don't despise prophecies. Test everything, throw out the nonsense, hold fast to what is good. Number six, verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. King James says shun the very appearance of evil. If it looks evil, stay away from it. If it draws others to evil, stay away from it. Do not live in a state of temptation. Get rid of the calendars that have those pictures on them. Don't go to that website. If if it is a temptation for you to sin, then stay away from it. As well as, do not live so as to draw others into temptation. Stop doing what you know causes other people to stumble. And we look at it and go, well, this is only a little bit evil, you know. Abstain from it. But this is cultural, see. This is what what our culture is coming to, and you just need to deal with it. If it's evil, stay away from it. Yeah, but you know, if the big sin sent Jesus to the cross, this one only gave him a mild case of acid indigestion. If it's evil, stay away from it. That's what Paul is telling us in very clear terms. If it looks even a little evil, just stay away from it. Abstain from every form of evil. Number seven. Verse 23, and now, here's the blessing. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In what ways? May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of ways to, to read this. There are a lot of ways to apply this, but let's just keep this real simple. May you be sanctified in how you relate to God and how you relate to yourself and in how you relate to others. When Jesus comes, may you be sanctified in how you relate to God because of proper devotion, in how you relate to yourself because of proper thoughts, in how you relate to others 
because of proper conduct. In every area of our life, we want to walk in holiness. And friends, it's not good enough to put on a good show for other people and have terrible thoughts going on inside of our own minds. Amen? May you be sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. Your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others. Why? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, this is his work. We work with him, but this is his work. Now, he tells us what our work is over in Matthew 28. This is what he tells us, Matthew 28, 19, 20. This is our work. You, I want you to go. You go, therefore, and do what? What does it say? Go, therefore, and make. Come on. Come on. This place is affiliated with Southern Baptist Convention. You've got to have that verse down. Come on. <laughs> Travis, if you don't give me that verse, for real, man. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's your job. Your job, you go make disciples. You go sit with people. You take them out. You buy them a cold drink. How is life going with you? Where's Jesus working? And what can I do to help you love Jesus more? How can I spur you on? You go make disciples and then encourage them to do what? The exact same thing. That's your job. What's his job? That's over in Matthew 16. And on this rock, I, what? Will build my church. Friends, building the church is his job. Making disciples is our job. Now, those two work together. Well, I'll just sit back and wait for Jesus to do everything. No, no, he calls us in. He said, you go move the stone. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said, you unwrap him. You do what you can do. I'll do what only I can do. But we're going to do this thing together. So I want you to go and make disciples. Who are you discipling? Who do you have in your life that you're discipling right now? And some of you poor mothers in here are saying, oh, no, now he's going to try and guilt me into sitting and having tea with somebody else. No, I'm not. You disciple those babies. I remember, I remember my wife going to that woman in Rifle, Colorado. What am I supposed to do? And that woman sitting down saying, you love those babies. You disciple those babies. I know it's there. They're always moving. <laughs> God, could we harness this? Would you give us wisdom? Solar energy, man, this. I know. I get it. We had five, always, and usually more. And they never stopped moving. And they never stopped making noise. Donna, just kill one. The others will get the idea. Just kill one. <laughs> heard something the other day, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard it, so it must be true. It said 90% of the time you get to spend with your kids is before they're 12 years old. And that's when you want to kill them the most. <laughs> you disciple those babies, because one day they'll be gone, and then you're going to want them discipling somebody else. But there are a lot of us in this room that don't have babies at the house. Who are you sitting with? Who are you challenging? Who are you spurring on toward love and good deeds? If we'll do our work, then he'll do his. And friends, it's his job to build a church that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. He's going to fight the battle. I like this line. Somebody told me this recently. The battle is the Lord's. That's out of the word. The battle is the Lord's and the victory is ours. Friends, you go do what you're called to do and that is make disciples and you trust him to do what only he can do because you, well, I'm making all the disciples again and the church isn't growing very fast. Who has more invested in this thing, me, him or you? Who wants it to grow and dominate the earth and be that mustard tree that takes over the whole earth the most? Him or you? 
Friends, he, he knows what he's doing. And we're just going to be faithful. We're going to do everything we know to do. And then when we've, we're, when we've done everything we know to do, we're just going to keep doing Having done all to stand, stand. And the reality is 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He'll cause it to grow. And we can be at home with that. And number 8, verse 25, Sean. Verse 25, brothers, pray for us. Well, we need that one. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Grant, where you at, buddy? I think you kind of got that one down, buddy. If you haven't been greeted by Grant, greet Grant before you leave. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. You make sure everybody gets this word. Verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, the urgency of the moment demands that we serve Jesus wholeheartedly. His imminent return and the magnitude of the need demands that we serve Him. The harvest is plentiful. We don't need more people on the sidelines telling those the doer of deeds, there's you Teddy Roosevelt, the doer of deeds, how they could be done better. We need to be praying, Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field, get the work done. And the excellency and the immediacy of that day justifies and warrants righteous living in the meantime on the part of those who are dedicated to Jesus Christ. Here's the most important question I can ask you of the day. It's this, have you accepted this Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is He in charge of your life? You say, well, I try and live well. I try and do the right thing. And those things I'm doing bad, I try and do fewer of those. It's not a matter of good or bad because you don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. There's a, there's a wall, there's a problem between us and God, and that, that wall is sin. It has separated us from God, and we try and go over it, around it, through it, under it. We try and get around that wall, but the wall has to be dealt with. And the Father looked at that wall and said, I'll deal with that wall. I'll deal with that wall in Jesus. And Jesus, sin of the world was placed on Him. Your sin, my sin, and He died on the cross for that sin. And now the only question is not your sin. Now the only question is Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as your personal Lord and Savior? He's, he's willing to give you forgiveness of sin if you will give Him your life. You confess Him as Lord, that's the first one. I confess you as Lord, I'll do what you tell me to do. And the second one is, and you will be saved. Have you accepted Jesus? If not, we'd love to share with you what God's Word the Bible says about how you can become a Christian. But most of us in this room are Christians. Let me bring this home. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? As I, you know, I've been thrilled about that since I first heard about it in the early 70s. Jesus is coming back. This is going to be so cool. And it's going to be cool. But friends, in the meantime, what are you doing to prepare other people to get this world ready for His coming? Who are you discipling? Who are you telling about Jesus? What, who are you spurring on toward love and good deeds? Friend, could I encourage you? He's coming back any day. It could be today. It could be in a thousand years. That's tomorrow because it's a thousand years of the day. Amen? Whenever He comes, I want to be one of those who's found ready by the Master. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to sing. We're going to go out of here and having fun today. Have you liked this song, Behold He Comes? That's a good song, isn't it? We're going to go out of here singing that today.